Hello there, and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent, and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we catch up on the action in the CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup, with games having been held in Morocco. We speak to our man there, Jalal Bonoir. So generally, CAF have been able to organise these games, um, despite uh, the rise in COVID-19 cases, mainly in Morocco and mainly in Casablanca. Also news from Kenya as Jacob Moulet becomes the national team coach for the fifth time and a roundup of plans for the return of domestic football across Africa. And Stewart on the drama in the English Premier League as Liverpool's Virgil van Dijk is out for the rest of the season. So stories from all across the continent and beyond on this week's show. So the second legs of the CAF Champions League semi-finals are scheduled for this weekend, although CAF has postponed the game between Zamalek of Egypt and Raja Casablanca of Morocco to next weekend. This after nine Raja players tested positive for COVID-19. Zamalek won the first leg 1-0 in Morocco. The other game will be played this weekend as planned. Al-Athli of Egypt taking on Widad Casablanca of Morocco. Al-Athli won the first leg 2-0 away. That was a great start for their new South African coach Pizzo Mossimani. And the CAF Confederation Cup mini-tournament is being played in Morocco. The finals on Sunday between RS Burkhan of Morocco and Pyramids of Egypt, with the semi-finals having been played on Monday and Tuesday. Well, I spoke to Planet Sport Football Africa's Jalal Bonoir in Casablanca in Morocco. He's been covering the games. I first asked about the effect of COVID-19 on the matches. The Guinean club uh, Horea faced uh, Pyramids, despite having uh, nine players affected by the virus. Um, they were 14 when they played against uh, the Egyptian side Pyramids. Uh, concerning Raja Casablanca, uh, nine COVID-19 cases were registered and the club uh, were not allowed to travel to Egypt as the Moroccan authorities released a statement uh, banning them from traveling and informing them that they have to uh, quarantine for one week before having uh, another round of testing. So was there any reason for uh, all of these positive tests, Jalal? Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Casablanca, this, these days and these weeks, Casablanca, we, we notice here that uh, there is a rise of COVID-19 cases. Uh, despite the continuous rounds of testing provided by CAF and by the Moroccan health uh, authorities, but uh, you know, sometimes it's difficult to control the situation. That's why some cases have been registered. And Casablanca, mainly in Morocco, the city with, with the highest number of cases registered every day. And uh, beyond this, uh, Jalal, how has the organization and the atmosphere been there in Morocco, in Casablanca and Rabat for the Games? Uh, yeah, generally, you know, uh, Moroccan authorities have provided all the necessary uh, facilities to uh, help uh, the Confederation of African Football CAF uh, host the Champions League semi-finals and also the Confederation Cup uh, uh, mini-tournaments. And, you know, as I told you, continuous rounds of testing were put in place, targeting all the staff, the players, the referees. So generally, CAF have been able to organize these games um, despite uh, the rise in COVID-19 cases, mainly in Morocco and mainly in Casablanca. Uh, the majority of teams 
uh, have expressed their uh, satisfaction and the games that were played, uh, things were fine. And uh, the final we are looking forward to uh, uh, in su- uh, on Sunday, the final between Renaissance Merkan and Pyramids, which will take uh, place at uh, Complex Moulay Abdullah in Rabat. And I think all the facilities are provided to make this, this, this game a successful one. And I guess it's been a bit strange because we know that you have massive crowds uh, normally there in Morocco for these big games, but uh, empty stadiums this time around. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you that the main causes, maybe the main cause behind the defeats of Widat Casablanca, Raja Casablanca, that's the games were played, the first league games of the semi-final were uh, played behind closed doors. And that was a big, big problem because to be honest with you, it's difficult for foreign teams when they come to Morocco mainly to play at Mohammed V Stadium in Casablanca. It's difficult for them to beat Rajan with that when the fans and the supporters are there at the stadium supporting and, and motivating the, their fans. So I think, I think that's one of the reasons maybe behind, behind the defeat of the two Moroccan sides. And uh, despite the tremendous efforts that were in, during the game, mainly uh, mainly talking about Raja Casablanca, they were unable to come back. They were unable to score because maybe uh, they were physically tired because the Moroccan league season uh, took a long time and finished only one week before before the semi-final. But playing uh, in a stadium without supporters, that was the big, big problem. Away from the continental action, Jalal, uh, Raja Casablanca won the Moroccan League two weeks ago as you managed to complete the season. How did things go after the lockdown there? It was a dramatic uh, weekend in Casablanca. I mean, the weekend before the Champions League because we had the last round of the Moroccan League, the Moroccan Botola League, and it was a dramatic evening when Casablanca uh, were able to win the Moroccan League, just in the last minute of the game. Dilal Hafidi, the player of Raja, scored the winner in, in the 90th minute to crown the Green Eagles, the Moroccan champions. The goal was just a few minutes after we that winning goal in their 2-1 victory over Fus Rabat. There was only one point between the two teams, the two arch rivals. And how was it containing the COVID-19 situation as you completed the league, Jala? So uh, the Moroccan Football Federation have uh, already asked the clubs to stay at hotels and not the players should not leave leave and visit their families. And I think majority of teams, they have stick to these health guidelines. But we have registered some cases. Uh, Moroccan Football Federation decided that if uh, a number of cases, about seven cases, are registered uh, among a club, a team, 48 hours before their game, then a game uh, may be postponed. But generally, things were fine and, uh, and the Moroccan Football Federation were successful in taking a decision to, to complete the Moroccan League because uh, at the beginning there was uh, like a decision to end the league without completing it. But the decision of completing the league and resuming the league was successful. Well, and uh, just finally, uh, Jalal, uh, you had a female referee in charge of a top-flight game uh, on the last match day. Yeah, during the last round of the Botola League, Moroccan referee uh, Bushra Karboubi, her name is Bushra Karboubi, she's not the first Moroccan woman to lead the Moroccan top-flight game, uh, but she is now has become the second woman to lead a Moroccan top-flight match after Khadija Razak, 
who uh, officiated the football match in 2004. So Bushra, the, the, the female referee, has successfully led her first match that ended in a 2-1 victory of the Magna Tituana over Olympic Ribga. She awarded a red card to one of Tituan's players without checking the VAR. So I think she was uh, successful and I think I've read the comments and the reactions of the Moroccan fans. We are happy that uh, Moroccan female referees now can take part in the Moroccan League. By the way, I think now, now Karbubi is one of the candidates to officiate in the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Well, a great story that. I was speaking there on Zoom to Planet Sport Football Africa's Jalal Bonwa in Casablanca in Morocco. So Morocco finished their domestic season over a period of three months after the lockdown in a bio-bubble, with players and staff kept isolated away from their families and the outside world for those three months. Well, here in Zimbabwe, government has given the go-ahead for football to return. There are plans uh, for the Premier League to hold a mini-tournament in December in a bio-bubble. Though we're not sure how the expenses will be met for this, so we'll see how it works out. But players are due to begin training on Monday after COVID-19 testing. Our neighbours, South Africa, completed their season in a bio-bubble. It was very expensive and their new season starts this weekend, but not in a bubble. Of course, they will have, though, COVID-19 precautions at the stadiums. So what's happening there in Kenya, Ida? Well, no league football yet in Kenya, Steve, as the government technically still has a ban over all contact sports in the country. So the individual sports, such as athletics, got the green light a while ago. But for team sports like football, well, they're still suspended. Though, Steve, teams have been training while trying to observe the COVID-19 regulations and they haven't been punished for it. So clearly the suspensions haven't been taken too seriously. Now, whereas in Tanzania, for example, they had their league resume and conclude right smack in the middle of the pandemic. Well, the last Kenyan Premier League season wasn't completed. It was uh, actually quite the controversial situation because Gormahia, who were top at the time, were named champions and their name forwarded to CAF. And Kenyan clubs are now training in anticipation of 20th November. Steve, that is the date set by the Football Association here for league football to resume in Kenya. All signs basically point to the government agreeing to this, despite the fact that there hasn't been any official communication from the local ministry to that effect, but it is expected in due course. As for the circumstances surrounding kickoff, well, highly likely that the league here will kick off under COVID-19 precautions. Steve, Kenya simply doesn't have the kind of resources to facilitate a bubble format like we saw in Morocco. But the Kenya national team, well, they did take part in a friendly that was in the last international window where they beat Zambia 2-1 behind closed doors. And all this, of course, Steve, is basically geared towards the 2021 Afghan qualifiers in November, where Kenya will face Comoros home and away. But look, lots happening off the pitch in Kenya as well. Nick Mwendwa retained his seat as president of the FA here, known as the Football Kenya Federation, then announced his candidature for the FIFA Council after his landslide victory. And there is also a new head coach, 
well, a new old head coach, if I can say, <laughs> uh, Jacob Ghost Moulay, and I'll explain why I've termed him as that. He is the last local coach to lead Kenya to the Afghan, makes a return, Steve, for the fifth time. This time on a three-year contract, meaning that he will take charge of the Harambe Stars for their attempt at a back-to-back Afghan qualification. And looking at what's happening across Africa, Steve, well, the Ghana Premier League is set to make its return on November 19th. Now, the Ghana Football Association already conducting tests on players and staff, of course, for COVID-19. In Zambia, which has a thriving local league, well, there is still no definite date for the start of their new league season. Despite a charity shield match that's set to curtain raise, playoff matches to determine who will be promoted in Rwanda, Steve, are set to take place. That is in the top flight with players already having taken their COVID-19 tests and uh, some developments as well. In Ethiopia, their season is scheduled to start on December 3rd and they've had multi-choice invest with DSTV set to broadcast the Ethiopian Premier League matches. That is huge, Steve, and definitely going by it a sign of better things to come from that side. Yeah, getting on super sport is massive for Ethiopian football. Thanks, Ida. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on the English Premier League, as the Everton-Liverpool game gave us so many talking points. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA, and our website is planetsport.tv. Recently added there a look at tips on tackling tough times. Uh, this is a very encouraging blog, especially if you're going through challenging times right now you can go to our website planetsport.tv and click on the blog section and see tips on tackling tough times also you can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive to download go to the play store or the apple itunes app store and enter planet sport football africa Let's go to social media now. And last week we highlighted the huge contrast between the record keeping in football in most African countries and the European leagues. The English Football League started way back in 1888. And if you search online, you'll find extensive records and information going all the way back to 1888. We spoke to African football expert Nuhu Adams in Ghana. Nuhu believes that the lack of basic records and statistics is affecting the progress of African football. Uh, Basic details like the number of appearances for a player, goal scorers and assists can be hard to find. And television footage from the archives is also lacking in many countries. So we asked, how's the record keeping and statistics in your country? It's been good to hear from listeners across the continent this week. And here with the comments is Planet Sport Football Africa's Ephraim Tagu. Uh, thanks, Steve. And on WhatsApp, we uh, start by hearing about the situation in the Gambia. Uh, Musa Balde Shibe says, I vividly agree with New Adams. Uh, the Gambian Football League is affected by these issues. A whole lot of things are missing uh, from our local leagues. For instance, the goal scorers, assist makers, uh, the number of home-based clubs a particular player has played for, number of caps won in international duties, uh, derby records and players' profiles. Uh, so our footballing fraternity should invest more effort uh, to iron out uh, some of these issues. Uh, 
Uh, Malik E. Boyjang agrees with Musa about the situation in the Gambia. My country never keeps records of our local leagues, says Malik. Even the national team has little or no previous events recorded. Uh, last year, I wanted to find out how many appearances my uncle had made for the national team, and I couldn't find any. And Bakari Tamba shares the same story. Record-keeping is a great problem in the Gambia, says Bakari. Since I started watching football, both the first and second divisions back in the 2000s, I have never come across any player who has been named all-time leading goalscorer or the number of appearances he made at his club. Jesse Rando paints a similar picture about the situation in Sierra Leone. It's a very poor situation for statistics in my country, says Jesse. I believe there is no football archive in my country at all. Isaac is in Ghana and his experience there is the same one as Nuhu described. We normally find it difficult to search even for the top scorers in our own league, says Isaac. And this has become a headache for some of our radio and television presenters when they are doing their analysis and updating their listeners and followers. A similar picture is beginning to build on this issue and Noble Botomani brings us the same story from Malawi. We don't have the statistics of our football players and football teams here, says Noble. There's no proper record keeping in our country at all. Alfred Bazai is also in Malawi. Record keeping in Malawi is still the worst. Uh, just like many other African countries, we still have a long way to go as far as record keeping is concerned, says Alfred. And Bizwek Njakwa agrees. Uh, this is a, a very important topic, says Bizwek. In my country, Malawi, record keeping and statistics is so poor. Many games are not televised here and it's hard to have footage. I totally agree with New Adams uh, that uh, the lack of basic record keeping and Statistics is affecting the progress of football in Malawi and many African countries. And it's the same story in Uganda, according to Ari Naitwe Emi. Surely it's true. You can hardly trace records here in Uganda, says Ari Naitwe. Even if you search back to 1990, you may not get anything. And I think that's why it's hard to celebrate our legends back home here. Uh, meanwhile, Milinga Maimbolwa uh, shares his experience of the situation in Zambia. It is a very sad state of affairs in our country in that record keeping is done by bloggers. And so even the FA relies on bloggers to get the accurate information. Our FA clubs and football stakeholders need to take a more proactive approach, as is the case in South America, Europe and Asia. And finally, we return to the Gambia. Jerry Colley coaches a girls football team in her village. As you rightly said, we have a very poor record keeping in the Gambia, says Jerry. And that is why I want to find a way to keep records of all my female footballers. So there you have it, Steve. We've heard from six different countries this week, and sadly, the pattern is the same, with little or no record-keeping taking place in any of them. The CAF initiative that Nuhu mentioned in his report last week can't come soon enough. Yes, that's an area that really does need addressing. Thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. Thanks for all of those comments, and it's always great to hear from you. 
This week, a hot issue as we're asking: Should Jordan Pickford have been punished for injuring Virgil Van Dijk?、Uh, with Liverpool's Van Dijk out for the rest of the season with a knee injury, the player whose tackle caused the injury, Everton goalkeeper Jordan Pickford, escaped without punishment. The English FA could have given Pickford a red card retrospectively, but they ruled that the referee saw what happened at the time, having consulted with the match officials, including the VAR. Well, the Reds manager Jurgen Klopp said, "It's not that I want to have a player punished, but if you do something wrong, you have to deal with the consequences." So we're asking, what do you think? Should Pickford have been punished? And looking at life in general, should we always be punished when we do something wrong? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Should Jordan Pickford have been punished? And、uh, in life in general, should we always be punished when we do something wrong? Interesting that Everton boss Carlo Ancelotti has apologised for the injury to Van Dijk and said that、uh, Pickford. Is really sad that Van Dijk is injured, but did deny that the tackle was premeditated. Well, more on that now as we go to our European football expert Stuart Weir in the UK. So let's start with that game, Stuart.、Uh, that two-two draw last weekend between Everton and Liverpool has、uh, so many talking points there. The Reds thought they'd won it at the end,、uh, but Jordan Henderson's effort was disallowed as Sadio Mane was ruled offside by millimeters. Though I must say that I wasn't convinced by the decision myself, and Van Dijk out for the rest of the season with that knee injury. How much of a blow is this going to be for Liverpool, Stuart? And what do you make of Klopp's comments? And what a contest! The Merseyside derby was an outstanding game, but what a shame we're again talking about VAR controversies. The decision to rule out Jordan Henderson's winning goal just seemed wrong to everyone watching. It's one of those that you had to stare at the imaginary line on the screen, and no matter how many times you looked, you could not be sure if any part of a red shirt was in front of the blue shirts. You know, VAR has certainly helped the game in many ways, but this so-called armpit offside interpretation and the penalised accidental handball decisions are frustrating everyone in the game. Beyond the match. And the controversial VAR decisions. I think the loss of Van Dijk potentially for the rest of the season is a massive blow for Liverpool. I would go as far as to say that Van Dijk is the last player Liverpool would have chosen to lose. We commented a few weeks ago on a mistake by Virgil Van Dijk to point out how rare an error on his part is, and they're now potentially without him for the season. The injury is, of course, an opportunity for Joel Matip from Cameroon. But while they're both fine defenders, neither Matip nor Joe Gomez comes close to the authority and stature of Virgil Van Dijk. And having said that, it was interesting that it was Fabinho, not Matip, who took Van Dijk's position in the Champions League game on Wednesday. But as Liverpool attempt to retain the Premier League title and chase the Champions League, their chances have certainly been weakened by the loss of Van Dijk. And I do sympathise with Jurgen Klopp. We've seen players getting red cards, like Anthony Martial against Tottenham for touching a player's face, or players getting a red card for two innocuous yellow card fouls. But this was a reckless challenge, which should have no place in football. I think there needs to be a higher category of a foul for a tackle that can injure a player. And of course, the irony here is that no action at all was taken against Pickford. 
And that is a mystery. As you said, because the referee had seen the incident, the FA can't intervene. But the big question for many of us is why did VAR not review the incident? If you haven't seen it on TV, the Everton goalkeeper Jordan Pickford made a clumsy and arguably reckless challenge on Van Dyke. Of course, Pickford didn't mean to injure Van Dyke, but he took the man without getting near the ball. And as former Premier League player Peter Crouch said of the incident, if that happens anywhere else on the pitch, it's a foul and probably a red card, but goalkeepers seem to get away with it. And just to prove Crouch's point, the last time a goalkeeper received a red card for a tackle in the penalty area was October 2007, 13 years ago. It just seems beyond belief that VAR appears not to have checked the incident. It's been suggested that because the ball was effectively dead at the point of the challenge, as Manny was offside earlier in the move, the incident didn't need to be reviewed. But that is nonsense, as foul play can be penalised whether the ball is in play or not. Jordan Pickford was very fortunate, and of course a red card would have left Everton playing 80 minutes with 10 men. But again we are left with a situation where VAR failed either to suggest a different outcome to the referee or to invite him to review the incident on the pitch side monitor. Now, I've been watching games in the Champions League this week and it's noticeable how routinely in UEFA competitions referees are encouraged to watch the incident for themselves on the screen and make a decision. I do wish the Premier League would use the same protocols. Yes, a lot of issues there. So in the Premier League, Manchester United, Chelsea on Saturday is the big one this weekend. It's been an extraordinary start to the season and the goals continue to flow in the English Premier League and it took 61 games to get a goalless draw, Stuart. Yes, indeed. As you say, Steve, West Brom nil, Burnley nil was the first scoreless draw of the season. But it was still a weekend where we had two three-all draws and lots of lit goals. Following the pattern that we've seen, there were only two home wins out of ten fixtures last weekend. Tottenham, at home to West Ham, were 3-0 up in 16 minutes, only for West Ham to score three goals in the last 12 minutes of the game to get an unlikely draw. And remarkably, that's the third time in the Premier League history that Tottenham have led by three goals and not won the game. Chelsea scored three, but conceded three against Southampton. And as we've pointed out before, their shirt sponsor is a mobile phone company called Three. And in a sense, Three-Three somehow suits Chelsea at the moment because they have a brilliant new strike force, but their defence looks suspect. And as we mentioned last week, they've needed three goalkeepers to get through the first five league games. And what about this for late goals last weekend? Southampton equalised in the 92nd minute, Brighton in the 90th, Aston Villa's winner was in the 91st, West Ham, as we said, scored three in the last 12 minutes, Manchester United scored three in the last 10. And as well as that, we saw two red cards after 90 minutes. I was going to say that will certainly stop the fans from leaving early, but of course there aren't any. Tottenham, on the other hand, have this season scored in the first, the second, the fourth, the fifth, the seventh and the eighth minutes. So again, if you want to see them, watch from the beginning. Lewis Dunk, the Brighton captain, has set two unfortunate records this season. Last weekend against Crystal Palace, he became the first captain this season to receive a red card. 
Earlier in the season, he'd become the first captain to score a known goal. Now, Steve, you're going to love this one. When Newcastle United played Manchester United last Saturday, the Newcastle team included Callum Wilson and John Joe Shelby, both born on the 27th of February, 1992. Playing against them, Manchester United had Harry Maguire and Fred, both born on the 5th of March, 1993. This is the first time ever in the Premier League that a pair of players born on the same day was in both teams. Well, I missed that gem somehow. Thanks for pointing that out, Stuart. And what else have you got for us uh, from the Premier League? There must be something about the way Arsenal warm-up, because last Saturday Rob Holding injured himself in the warm-up and had to drop out of the game. And incredibly, that's the fourth time in Arsenal's last 28 games that this has happened, with Kieran Tierney and Hector Bellerin twice having to be replaced due to an injury picked up in the warm-up. Premier League clubs have had to name a 25-man squad for the Premier League, and a number of African players have found themselves omitted by their clubs this year. Christian Atchu at Newcastle United, Yannick Bolassi, Everton, and Jean-Michel Sechi at Fulham are not included in the squads. And the biggest name excluded is Mesut Ozil at Arsenal, who will, of course, continue to be paid $400,000 a week to do nothing. Yes, Ozil totally falling out of favour at Arsenal. Thanks, Stuart. Elsewhere, the El Clasico on Saturday. Barcelona playing Real Madrid. Real Madrid having suffered a shock defeat as the UEFA Champions League group stage got underway this week. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi and Stuart Weir in the UK. Thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.